So join me please in opening to our passage for this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. If I may request everyone to please rise as we honor God's Word. Can we do that? Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. It reads, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, can we pray? Lord, we thank you for your grace that saved us. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners unworthy, and yet your grace and mercy reached out to us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your grace that sustains us every day. And we thank you for your grace this morning as you open our hearts and minds and give us the understanding and the knowledge and the wisdom that we need not only to know your teachings and to understand your word, but to know you more, Lord. We pray as we sung a while ago, Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice and we're hanging on every word that you speak through Scripture, Lord. So this morning, we are trusting in the working of the Spirit to teach us, to convict our hearts, and possibly even a work of conversion for those who are not yet born again. We are trusting you, Lord, for this working. We thank you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, we can have our seats. The title of my sermon is very simple. I titled it, Paul's Prayer for Unity. Now, as you look at this passage, verse 14 to 19, you may not immediately see that the prayer is connected to unity. But just allow me a few minutes to share with you a general background of the letter of Paul to the Ephesians for us to quickly understand why this prayer of Paul was written in this segment of his letter. The church in Ephesus, like many of the churches, many of the Gentile churches during that time, were filled with both Jewish and Gentile believers. If you've read the book of Acts, you will know that the very first church that was um, created by the Lord was a church of Jewish believers. The, God opened their eyes, God opened the eyes of their hearts and recognized Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, as the church began to grow, the Jews were surprised that the Lord began to reach out to the Gentiles. And so, uh, the church began to move quickly in Antioch, in different cities, and the letters of Paul were the cities where eventually the Spirit of God began to move. And because of that, there were frictions that came about in the church. And you see that, again, also in the book of Acts. The Jewish believers expected the Gentile believers to be the men to be circumcised. They expected them to have the same diet. They expected them to have the same uh, standards with regards to days, special days, and special feasts. But eventually, the Lord, through the apostles, also made it clear that the Gentile believers were not expected to become Israel. But what was actually happening was that the Lord was creating a new body through both Jewish and Gentile believers. We have a hint of this actually starting from Ephesians 2 verse 11 up to chapter 3 verse 13. But we won't read the whole passage. Let me just share with you um, some key passages that will help us understand what Paul was writing about in the letter of Ephesus. Starting from Ephesians 2 verse 14, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
Uh, when I was a young Christian during the middle 80s, I remember we used to sing a song um, that had these lyrics. For He is our peace who has broken down every wall. He is our peace. He is our peace. How many remember that song? Raise up your hands. Okay, more or less, kaidad tayo. Now we're from the same age, so that shows how long we've been a Christian. Uh, we don't sing it that much today. But, but the understanding was that the Lord was breaking the barrier between us and God. But actually, what the verse is talking about is He was breaking the wall between the Jewish and Gentile believers. Okay, and then Paul continues in verse 13, By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So it wasn't about whether you were Jew or Gentile anymore. It was now all focused in their believing in Christ. Verse 16, And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So it's obvious in this portion of the letter of Paul that he was trying to bring unity between the Jews and the Gentile believers. That they were not to focus on their cultural differences. They were not to expect anything external from them and just to be united. Chapter 3, verse 2 Paul talking about his ministry, he said, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. We are the Gentiles, unless there are Jewish believers here. But we are the Gentiles. And for the past 2,000 plus years, we've understand the understood the church as a Gentile church, which is why maybe this concept of Jews and Gentiles being one may be a little foreign to us, but in the time of Paul's writing, this was what he was dealing with. He was dealing with the barrier, the sort of invisible, invisible barrier between the Jews and the Gentile believers in Christ that was happening within the church. And not only in Ephesus, but in many churches during that time. This is why, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, Paul begins this portion of his letter with this. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then in verse 3 he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, so initially, as Paul wrote this, in his heart, his heart was towards the Jewish and Gentile believers, that they were to walk in unity. They were to keep the unity. Paul was not telling them to be united because they were already united in the Spirit. What Paul said was they need to keep it. They need to protect it. And so this seems to be at least one of the views concerning Paul's intent in writing the letter to the Ephesian church. Okay? That they were to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I want us to keep that in mind because, as I mentioned a while ago, we are a gentle church. For thousands of years, the gentle church has grown. And we, we don't really understand this connection maybe between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's all right as we grow. And maybe as, as the rest of you enroll in IBI and, and join other Bible studies, eventually this will become clear. But how important is this understanding of unity today? It's as important as during the time of Paul's writing between the Jews and Gentiles. The unity of believers today is an important aspect of the Christian life. And it's not just about um, 
we were talking about the Jesus Festival. It's not just about being one with other churches, although that is a major part of it. We need to remember that we are not the only church here, that all the other churches who believe in Christ as Savior, who believe in God's Word as the sole authority of doctrine and life, and, and who are filled with the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, we are all one with them. But there's an aspect of unity in a Christian's life that we sometimes tend to neglect, and that I would like, that I pray that the Lord focuses on and ministers to our heart with. And what is that? It's with regards to unity with one another. Unity with one another. Unity in our relationships. Unity as believers in Christ. In whatever relationship it may be. Today, the church, we may not know or see the aspect of unity between Jews and Gentiles. Important to understand. But we do have problems with regards to unity. And there are many situations that also put in danger the blessing of unity that we have within the church. So you see it in leadership, for example, how the church needs to pray that the leaders of your church are walking in the unity of the Spirit. Not unity, not physical unity, not logical unity, not intellectual unity, but a unity of the Spirit. It's seen in fellow workers. I can only speak, of course, from my perspective from Bacolod, that in our church, it's surprising how workers can be in conflict with one another. And sometimes, unknowingly, they, they, they keep it aside, they put it aside, and, and do not seek to mend it, but they don't realize that it has an effect upon the church. When it, when it comes to uh, members of the church, okay? It's good to have a big church like this. If you have a conflict with a member, uh, someone maybe you argued with or that you don't like, in a big church like this, you can attend the 5 p.m. service hoping that he will attend the 9 a.m. service. Or you can attend the 9 a.m. service hoping that he will attend the 5 p.m. service. Or you can attend the same service but hoping he sits there while you sit there. And so you don't have to shake hands during the greeting. And sometimes we neglect that aspect of the unity. We forget that as believers in Christ, each one of us are indwelt by the Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is actually, if I may use the term, the glue. He is the one that keeps us together, not church membership, not, uh, not maturity in, in our growth. No, it's the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives that keeps us glued together. And how we neglect this, for example, in husband and wife relationships. If you and your spouse are believers, you're both indwelt by the Spirit. And yet, many times, we are not walking by the Spirit in our relationships. We allow carnal ways to come out. And so, that unity of the Spirit is attacked. When it comes to Christian friendships, when it comes to um, relationships, as I mentioned, within the church, that bond of Christian unity must be kept, and we must be careful not to neglect it. And after Paul talked about this mystery of Christ in bringing unity between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, he burst out into prayer. And that is the prayer that we have in chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. And Paul begins that prayer. If we focus on verse 14, he says, for this reason, okay, so speaking about what he just wrote about from chapter 2, verse 11, up to chapter 3, verse 13. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Unity in the church was something that Paul believed was something to seriously deal with. And when a believer is serious about something in his or her life, that he or she has to deal with, what do we usually do? We usually come to the Lord in prayer. And this was what Paul was doing. He was kneeling before the Father in prayer. In the whole letter of Ephesians, Paul actually mentions prayer three times. In chapter 1, he ended that portion of his letter with a prayer after talking about spiritual blessings 
in that chapter, Paul prayed that the Lord would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may know these spiritual blessings. And then in chapter 6, after talking about or after writing about spiritual warfare, about us having an enemy, about us being, um, being or wearing the armor of God, Paul said, we must not forget to pray in the Spirit. And in all humility, Paul in Ephesians 6 says, pray for me also because I have to continue to preach this mystery that the Lord has revealed. So the whole letter of Ephesians is actually sandwiched in prayer. But here in verse 13, or in verse 14 of chapter 3, this prayer of Paul is specifically for the reason that he just wrote about. After speaking about unity, after writing about unity, I'm sorry, Paul now bursts into prayer. And you see his seriousness with the word that he uses. He uses the word kneel. I kneel before the Father. I don't know how many of you actually practice this in your prayer time. Some of you may have done it in the past. I actually used to do that in the past. The problem now when I kneel down in prayer, I have a hard time getting up okay, because my knees are starting to weaken already. And so, uh, for me, I don't know if it's an excuse, but for me, I say, Lord, uh, what is important is the posture of my heart, that my heart is bowing before you because I have that problem. But if you have no problem with your knees, I challenge you to try and kneel down while you pray. It, it adds an expression of sincerity. It adds an expression of seriousness when you come and kneel down and say, Lord, serioso ako, Lord, I'm serious about this, this thing that I'm praying for. I bow down before you, Lord. I kneel down before you and I ask this from you. This was how Paul was praying for unity. He said, Lord, I kneel before you. I kneel before the Father. One of the areas that we need to pray for our church or our churches is that aspect of unity, brethren. Unity, disunity may, may seem to be small cracks in our church when we see little disagreements in the leadership or lit, a little friction between fellow workers. We may think, ah, bahala na si Lord ja, no? That's just a small thing. Eventually, they'll take care of it. But no, this is one of the areas in the life of the church that Satan attacks. Because one small crack, if left unattended, eventually just keeps on growing and, and later on has a bad effect upon a local church. And that's why this is something that we need to be serious about. Even in relationships, we may have minor differences, minor relationships in, in, in with our Christian brethren. We may have minor cracks in our marriages, minor cracks with parents and children. But these are not things to neglect. These are, these are things that we need to kneel down before God and pray. Why? Because if we allow these little cracks to stay in a husband-wife relationship or with parents and their children, brethren, we might see the effect years after. Delicado siya, brethren. And just like Paul, we need to have this attitude towards unity. Pray, kneel down, and really pray, Lord, deal with this. Don't allow this to happen. Because if we allow it to happen, it just, it just, it's just like a volcano preparing to erupt. That's why delicado siya, brethren. And even in our present context, I forgot to mention this a while ago, even in our present context, we, we do have cultural differences in churches. Some, if you're from Cebu, that's all right. But if you're from Mindanao or from Leyte, no, medyo iba na yan. You know, sometimes we have differences between Tagabacolo and Taga Cebu or Taga Iloilo and all of these things. We have all of these jokes, etc. You know, I remember uh, something like 26 years ago when I first set foot in, in Bacolod City because I was from Manila, I could sense there was, there was a gap 
Because generally, at least I'm speaking for Bacolod, there's this concept that if you're from Manila, if you're Tagalog, uh, ano ka, mayabang ka, nasa Tagalog. No? You're, you're a proud, you're frank, you speak straight. You know? and, and the Lord was dealing with me in that area because I had to be conscious about that. Because if I had just let that be, if I had just said, just accept me for who I am and I'll accept you for who you are, you never know, eventually that gap will just begin to grow and the relationship with the church would not be strengthened. And so I, through the Lord, had to adjust, the members had to adjust, and eventually what happened? What happened is I was ilongonized, okay? So eventually I became an ilongo. Someone asked me yesterday, are you in ministry prepared to die in Bacolod? I said, yes, because that's where God placed me. Okay? I do not go home anymore in December when we go on vacation, okay? We go on vacation. We visit Manila. We go home to Bacolod. See, that's what happens when, when you're in ministry. That's what happens when God places you somewhere. I think you can speak the same for Brother Mel. Brother Mel is not just a Manileño who is here. He is someone who is willing to die here in Cebu for the church that the Lord has given him to take care of. So there are those kinds of differences. If we don't pray for it, if we don't seek God's um, grace and guidance, the crack just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And don't forget, brethren, Satan is not out just to play around with us. No. Peter tells us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring cat. Uh, cat ba? No. Roaring what? Roaring lion. Seeking someone to lick or to bite. No. To devour. Okay? If you have National Geographic channel or Discovery channel on your televisions, you watch how lions attack their prey. It's hard to watch. It's interesting how Peter said, this is our enemy. And when he sees a little crack, don't be surprised if he tries to make it worse. So this thing about unity is important. So what was Paul's prayer? Let's go to the focus of Paul's prayer. In verse 16, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, you know the word riches came, comes out many times also in the book of Ephesians. Paul talking about how rich our God is. Here, it's in relation to power. So I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that was actually the focus of Paul. Power. It comes out again in verse 18, that you may have power together with all the saints. Talking about love. But that was Paul's focus. He, say, he said his prayer was, out of God's glorious riches, and God is not lacking in power, our God is a powerful God, He may strengthen us with power through His Spirit in our inner being. These are two things that we also tend to neglect. Number one, the power of the Spirit. Number two, our inner being. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that these are two things that we neglect? I mean, how many of us, I, I know there, there are a number of us who do this, but how many of us here when we wake up in the morning, when we pray, we ask God to bless our day, we, got, we ask God to provide, we ask God to, to work in a certain way. But how, how many of us actually come to the Lord and say, Lord, fill me with your power today. As I work in my office, may I work with your power. As I deal with other people, may I be filled with your strength that, Lord, I can deal with them correctly. Lord, give me your strength so that I can walk righteously. You know, all of us here, the default state of our heart is to depend on ourselves because that's how we were raised up. We were raised up to depend on ourselves. We have strength in our bodies. We have education. Because of education, we have intellect. We have knowledge. We have logic. No, you, you, you are your own person, so you need to think for yourself. That's the default state of our hearts. And the Lord was not 
lacking in reminding the church that if the church was to exist, it was to be with His power. The Lord was not lacking in that. Before the church was born in Acts chapter 1, speaking to His disciples before He ascended into heaven, the Lord told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses through your words and through your life. But it can only be done through the power of God. Okay. The last song we sang a while ago was the first time I heard that song here in, in, in yesterday afternoon and, and this morning. And it reminded me, Spirit of the living God, we just want to hear your voice. We're hanging on your words. And it was God reminding me that it's not about me. It's not about how I speak or, or my, the volume of my voice or my eloquence or my diction or what. No, it's about the Holy Spirit working in power in our hearts, bringing God's Word into us and giving us power so that we may understand every word. Everything we do as believers, brethren, is a working of God's power. Even just understanding God's Word is a working of God's power. Without the working of God's power, we would not understand what we read and what we listen to. And so this is one thing that we must be conscious of, the strength, the power of God. Sometimes the only time we really pray for this is when we're in our weakest point, when God wants us trusting in Him from the beginning. And the second part that we neglect is our inner being. We, we forget that this is where God initially works in our hearts. Okay, here. When He strengthens us with His power, it's not in our muscles, it's not in our brain, it's not in our bodies, it's in our inner being. And have you noticed today, brethren, in the church, okay, um, wala tayong pakialam sa world because the world is worldly, okay, but the church should not be worldly. Have you noticed how in the church, there are many who are more focused on their external being rather than in their inner being. They put more value to what they learn, to what they are doing, to what they earn upon health, wealth, stature, position. And we forget to pray. We forget to spend time in God's Word. We forget to worship. We forget, you know, devotional time or whatever you call it, quiet time or prayer time. It just takes, compared to work, compared to school, it just takes a few minutes, some maybe an hour of our time, and yet that precious moment prepares us for the next hours where we will be dealing with the world and we will be dealing with worldly people. And yet, have you noticed that's one of the first things that we neglect, our inner being. Okay. That, that's why they say, it's an old quotation where it says, sometimes we treat God like a spare tire. For those of us who own cars, how many of you have forgotten that you have a spare tire? The only time we remember that we have a spare tire is when? When we get a flat. And we expect the spare tire to be full of air. But if for the past years, you have not been checking your spare tire, there won't be air. And so when you get the spare tire and put it on and you put down the jack and it's flat, we complain. You know, we're like that with God. We don't take care of our prayer life. We don't read this word. You know, we, we become Facebook Christians where all we like are the quotations, the verses that are posted or the tweets that we receive. lang, And then when we have problems after months or years without prayer, all of a sudden we have a trial or a hardship and then we cry out to God expecting Him to answer at that moment. But we haven't been taking care of our inner being, which is the very place where God communes with us. The very place where God's strength is. This is the source. It, that is, if I can use the term, the battery of the spiritual life here in our inner being. See? The strengthening of God's power is through the Spirit in our inner being. That's why we need to take care of this our inner being, our heart, every day, every moment. 
Proverbs chapter 4 says, Above all things, guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. Okay? Whatever is in your heart, that's what comes out of your life. So if your heart is strengthened with God's power and His presence every day, that's the wellspring that comes out. But if it's ourself, if it's worldliness, if it's the things of the world, that's what will come out. So we have to guard our inner being. But let me go back to the prayer. Paul's prayer for the believers was that they would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in their inner being. Now, what for? Okay. For what reason? Why did Paul pray that they would be strengthened with power? Actually, we will see two things. The fruit of being strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being is what? First, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Okay. That's the effect of the working of the power of God. And then secondly, that they would grasp, the NASB says comprehend, that they would grasp and know the love of God. And these are two things that are vital for church unity. These are two things that are vital in Christian unity. When you're talking about unity between leaders of the church, unity between fellow members of the church, unity between husband and wife, unity between parents and children, these two things are important. The abiding presence of God and our grasp and knowledge of God's love. Okay, let me, let me, let me expand this just a little. Okay, so Paul says that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Now, Paul is not talking about the initial dwelling of Christ because that happens at the moment you believe. The moment you believe in Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He is a gift, and Christ Himself is in us. So, for the rest of the life of a believer, Christ is in us. Okay? Amen to that? Amen. So, Christ is in me. But this is not what Paul was praying for. What Paul was praying for was that Christ's dwelling presence would be known. Now, some of us may say, don't I know this already? Don't, don't I know that Christ is in me? Don't I know that I'm filled with the Spirit? Maybe here we know, but let me ask you something. When we sin, okay, whatever sin it is, a sin of pride, maybe we spoke the wrong word, or it may be a grave sin, have you noticed that at the moment you were sinning, you completely forgot that Christ was in you. you it doesn't mean that He left, huh? because He doesn't leave. But we forgot. When you were lying in your work, you had to have a sale, and so you just had to lie, you completely forgot that the Lord was with you, that the Lord was dwelling in your heart. But right after you sin, that's when you realize, and so you ask forgiveness, you, you say sorry to the Lord, and the Lord deals with your heart. But that's what happens when we sin. And this is exactly what I believe Paul was praying for. Paul was praying that, the, that God would strengthen our hearts with His power, through His Spirit, in our inner being, so that Christ would dwell. If you notice, brethren, Christ's dwelling is not by self-effort. The presence of God, the, the truth of Christ's dwelling does not come from our saying, I believe He is dwelling, I believe He is in me. No, it comes through the working of the power of God. The reason that He stays, the reason that He dwells is because God Himself is doing it. It's through our faith that we know and believe that He is there. Why is this important when it comes to unity? Because when Christ dwells, when He inhabits, that's what the word means, when He inhabits, when He stays in our hearts, when we are conscious of His presence, 
what happens? Christ becomes the center and focus of our hearts. Okay? We're always going back to Him. We're always reminded that He is there. We're always reminded that He is the one we should be following. Not our emotions, not what we believe, not what we feel, but we follow Christ. Okay? Let me share with you Colossians 3, verse 15 to 17. I believe this was Paul's way of expanding what he talked about concerning the dwelling of Christ in our hearts. So Colossians 3, verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And verse 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In this passage, three things that we should see in our hearts. First, the peace of Christ. Second, the word of Christ. Third, the name of Christ. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The word rule means to arbitrate. Okay? It means to decide. Have you noticed when there are quarrels, when there are fights, when there are disagreements, it's very difficult to decide who is right. In fact, most of the time, we think we are right. And that's why it's hard for us, number one, to say sorry. Number two, it's hard for us to accept an apology. Why? Because we think we're right. We think it's all about us. That's why during disagreements and friction and all of these things, it's important for a believer to step back. And then let the peace of Christ rule. See? It's the Lord who becomes now the, the solemn, serene calmness of our hearts. And then we allow God to take over. See? So you notice, you apply that in husband-wife relationships. Apply that between parents and children. Apply that with, with a disagreement with a brother or sister. In Christ. Even if it's a, 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 a disagreement about teachings or about the Bible verse, you know, sometimes we have to step back and say, Lord, I, I need your peace to rule. Not my emotion, not my intellect, not my logic, but Lord, you. See? With Christ dwelling in our hearts, His peace now begins to rule. See? Verse 16 let the word of Christ dwell in you. What, what does it say? Dwell in you richly. Richly, not poorly. I mentioned a while ago that we are Facebook Christians today. Why? Because many Christians today are satisfied with the verses that our fellow believers post in Facebook or the tweets that they send. Or sometimes we are Facebook Christians even in the Bible we are reading. Why? Because we're just choosing verses that we like. We're just choosing. Oh, I like, I like Genesis 1, verse 1, and I like Exodus this, and I like Colossians 3. But the rest of the Bible, we have no understanding. We, we need to be a people who have the full knowledge of the Word of God in our hearts. That's what Paul is saying, that, we, that the Word of Christ dwells in us richly. See? And that's why the diet of the Word, brethren, is something that we should be conscious about. Okay? This is one aspect in our life where we should not be afraid to gain weight spiritually. Don't be afraid to gain the Word of God every day. Read as much as you can. Read from Genesis to Revelation. Fill yourself with God and who He is and how He dealt with His people from Genesis up to Revelation. Last Friday, I, I had the privilege of speaking with the couples and Second Wind, and the title of, of, of the, the whole talk was In the Beginning. Why? Because I told them, when you talk about marriage, the book of Ephesians is a beautiful teaching. Even Colossians has a teaching about marriage. You can go to the Song of Solomons, and there are beautiful 
reminders about marriage. But when Jesus was asked about divorce in Matthew 19, Jesus told the Pharisees, haven't you read that at the beginning, see, at the beginning, this was how God created marriage. And then they asked him, why did Moses command the people to write certificates of divorce? And Jesus said, you know, Moses told that because your hearts were hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. So it's so important for us, and you'll be surprised, brethren. You study the book of Genesis, I think it's safe to say all other teachings in the Old and New Testament find its foundation in the book of Genesis. And yet, how many of us have actually gone through the book? We know it's about creation, but the rest we have no idea. See, We have to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Why? So that we could teach and admonish one another. Okay. The word admonish sounds nice, right? Brother, can I admonish you? And your answer is sure, because you don't know what it means. What does the word admonish mean? No, it means to correct. Okay. Teach and correct. Teach and even rebuke sometimes. The word rebuke comes out in the Bible many times. Christians are not just to be brethren who say, I love you with the love of the Lord. Let me hug you. And, you know, you're a good person. That's the world. That's Oprah. You're good. You can do it, etc. No, Christians, of course, we're supposed to love each other. But when we see sin or wrongdoing in the life of a brother or sister, we need to come to them in love and say, you know, I need to correct you. I need to admonish you. I need to set you straight sometimes. And you can't do that with your intellect or with your emotion because they will resent it. You need to do it with your understanding of God's Word. You see? That's when a believer receives correction. That's when he receives teaching. When he knows that you're speaking with the Word of God and not just from emotion. You don't tell a Christian, you know, I think you're wrong because I think what you're doing is wrong. That's what you think. You see, we all have our opinions, but it should be the Word of God that sets our standards. And then we are to teach and admonish one another with, with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I, I, you know, ever since I was a young Christian, I never understood what that verse meant. Does this mean I have to sing to someone like, like the sound of music? I am 16 going on 17. How old are you? And they will answer back with the song. No, that's not what it means. You know what it means? Like, for example, in the songs that we sang this morning, you are the great king, you are the great God. You know when you admonish someone, you admonish them with the worship that just entered your heart. Don't you know that God is our king? That God is our Lord, that the spirit of the living God is the one working in our hearts. So even with songs that we sing about God, it fills our hearts, and this is what we use. So notice the dwelling of Christ his word, his peace, and his word is so important in us. And of course, the name of Christ, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, not in my own name, not for my sake. See? Many times that happens when, when dealing with my wife, dealing with my children. You know, sometimes I, I'm, I'm tempted to correct my children and tell them, you know, you need to behave. No? Kasi nakakahiya sa tatay mo. Diba? Don't be late for school because what will your school say about me? So what, 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 what was I telling my child? I was telling my child to live for me. Diba? Don't be late for me. No? Take care of my reputation. And I realized I was wrong. It wasn't for me. I had to teach my son discipline with regards to his Christianity, with his walk with God, with his character that God is building. You know, many times we're so focused on ourselves, we don't realize it. But in everything that we do, we are to do, we are to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving glory to Him. I believe this is a, an expanded explanation of 
Paul's prayer when he said, I pray that the power of God will strengthen our hearts, that, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. It's by the strength of God that we bring this dwelling everywhere. Everywhere we go. Just very quickly, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 2, Paul revealed that there was a friction between two workers in the church. So in verse 2, he says, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintike or Sintike to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And that is the context of what he writes from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Then notice what he says. The Lord is near. During times of conflict and disagreement, how important is it for us to know the Lord is near? See? So again, in those times of disagreements and conflicts, you step back. Remember the dwelling of Christ and say, Lord, guide me as I deal with this situation with this individual, with, with the church, Lord, guide me and deal with me in how, how I will approach this. Now, the, the second aspect of Paul's prayer for power was related to another important aspect of unity. Verse 18, Ephesians 3, verse 18. And Paul prayed that we may have power or they would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He talked about love. Now, all of us know that we're supposed to love one another, right? Can I get an amen? No, amen? All of us know that. Okay? At least all of us here in front. Parang kayo lang ang nag-amen eh. Okay? Amen ba? All, love one another? Amen? But how many times is that tested? Diba? And how many times has our love for others failed? Because we failed to grasp. Or even to know. Now, Paul said something interesting. Paul said in verse 17, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. The root and establishment okay, of our Christianity is in love, but not our love. Whose love? God's love. And it's when a believer recognizes the great love of God for himself or for yourself that now you're able through the strengthening of God's power to grasp. See, the reason why we cannot apply God's love is because we have not applied it first to ourselves. See, we have not applied it first to ourselves. Paul okay, implied that this grasp and knowledge of God comes through the working of the power of God. Why is that important? Because our human earthly minds cannot comprehend the love of God. The only love that we understand is human love, which is what? Which is, I love me first, and then I will try to love you. See? That's human love. I'll try to love you as long as you're lovable. But the moment you stop being lovable to me, I cannot love you anymore. I'm sorry. And even if we know all the verses about love, that's the love that we have. Why we're born with it, how many of us remember the song? It, it's, it's a song I remember George Benson singing, uh, The Greatest Love of All. No, it's an old song. I don't know if you sing it in your karaoke times. No? But he, he says, the lyrics say, The greatest love of all is happening to me. No? Are you singing already? No. Okay. The learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. No, I believe that children are the future. Diba? Teach them well. That's what the song's about. I, I used to like that song when I was not a believer. 
But when I became a Christian, I realized the song was wrong. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. But that's the song that our hearts sing. That's why it's hard for us to be united. Because when we disagree with someone, pag may conflict kita with someone else, it's so hard because I, I'm, I'm correct. I'm the one who's right, not him. He should say sorry, not me. He should change his views, not me. Diba? How many of us are listening? How many of us are listening to this sermon and we're saying, Yes, Lord, touch his heart. Oh, diba? Siya dapat ang kausapin mo, Lord. Hindi ako, ako, okay lang ako, Lord. Siya, Lord, siya. Or maybe he's in the other side. Siya, oh, nandiyan siya. Oh, oh, diba? That's why we can't apply God's love. We fail to apply it to ourselves. John 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus gave us this command. Many of us memorize this. A new command I give you, love one another. And then Jesus said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, there's the gospel. Why? How did God love us? Did He love us by saying, Oh, I'm so in love with you and, and I have plans for you and I will make you great? No. Did, do you remember how God loved you? The wrath of God was upon us, Romans chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2, it says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were like the rest, objects of wrath. And yet God, in His love for an unworthy sinner like us, decides to send His Son to die for our sins. What is, what, what is the first thing, or not, not, not the first thing, or one of the things at least that the gospel reveals to our hearts? Probably the first thing is the holiness of God. God reveals how holy He is, and then the second thing is He reveals how sinful you are. It, it reveals how unworthy you are, and then God crushes your heart. He makes you feel so unworthy until you sense the grace of God reach out to you and you say, Lord, your love for me is so great. And you know what, brethren? It's that crushed heart that you bring to your relationships. Don't leave it in your house. Don't leave it in church, in a church service. No. Bring it with you when you go home, when you're with your husband or wife, you're sleeping in the same bed. You're, you're one in the eyes of God. Bring that crushed heart so that when a fight or argument comes, who is wrong? Diba? Bring it when you're dealing with your children. You realize that you're not teaching your children uh, to be like you. Look at me, I'm this way, you should be this way. Why? How are you? What we should be telling our children is, you know, we're all sinners. We're all the same. God changed me. He can change you if you trust in Him. You bring it to your office. Bring it to your school. Bring it to the workers, in the, with the workers in the church. In leadership, you bring that crushed heart. That's what we bring. That's the problem with sin. Sin makes us feel that learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Just let me quickly share with you, I hope I still have time, but let me quickly share with you what I shared to the couples um, last Friday. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created Eve and He brought Eve to the man, look what it says, verse 22. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib He had taken out of the man and He brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Okay? God created man from the dust, but God created woman from the rib of the man. Why? Because God's intention was to show that this was what marriage was about, that intimacy. So bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Can you imagine 
From that moment, Adam and Eve were always together, holding hands, swinging while they're walking. Maybe he had a special name for her. I don't know what. No, you're the apple of my eye. No, but not that tree, okay? But you, no, as if it was an apple in the tree. No, so, but you could imagine, right? Beautiful. There was no sin. It was beautiful. And then in chapter three, it this sin destroys everything. You know how? In chapter 3, look at verse 11, just to shorten the story. And God said to Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Diba? Adam should have said, Yes, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I've sinned against you. What was Adam's answer? Verse 12, The man said, The woman that you gave me, she gave the fruit to me. All of a sudden, ang kalaban niya, ang wife niya. Diba? To defend himself, Eve was the wrong one. Okay? When that begins to happen in our relationships, that's when sin comes out. There's a conflict. Okay? Imagine God asking you, why are you fighting? It's him, Lord. Diba? Shy. He started it. She started it. He should have not done that. She shouldn't have done that. Diba? Sa Lord ang may maling teaching eh. Hindi siya eh. You know this how we're always pointing? Okay. And someone graciously came to me yesterday afternoon and said, you know when you point, you have three fingers pointing back at you. You notice that? It's your fault. <laughs> it's, it's your fault, fault, fault. <laughs> Kasi tatlong fingers. Eh, no? <laughs> but see, that's, that's what the gospel does. Eh. The gospel reminds us there's no one good except God. Okay? And the first one we should deal with is ourselves. So notice how important love is. And that's why Paul prayed, I pray that being rooted and grounded in love, that the power of God would make you grasp and know this love. And it begins, brethren, only by reminding ourselves again and again of how unlovable we are, okay? The problem is we've believed our parents for so wrong. Eh? Ang cute, ang cute-cute mo. Ikaw ang pinakagwapo sa lahat. Sa lahat ng anak ko, ikaw ang pinakagwapo. Diba? Ma, I'm the only child. That's all right. Oh, diba? At least you know your love. But it could be true, of course. Our parents love us. No? I'm, I'm just making a little joke there. But but we believe in all of these things that you're the important one. It's your benefit. It's your... No. Go back to the gospel. Go back to how much God loved an unlovable person like you, like me. And then start to deal with these little cracks of disunity that come upon our lives. Okay? Again, this it happens. There's no perfect church. And that's one thing interesting about the church. Have you noticed that? Churches are filled with human beings who are all imperfect. And many times our imperfection comes out. And that's why we, we, we fight and there's friction, etc. But this was Paul's prayer and this should be our prayer. And we kneel down before the Father that we will be filled with the power of God so that we may be conscious of the dwelling presence of God in our hearts always, and that we may grasp and know this love that God has for us, that I may apply this in my life. When that happens, brethren, watch how God works and heals, patches, repairs every little crack that's happening whether in the church or whether in our lives. No? Amen to that? Okay, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God of power, that nothing really is impossible with you. And this power is to work in our hearts that you may continually dwell in our hearts that we may be conscious of your presence at all times, Lord, and that your power will move in our hearts that we may grasp, comprehend, and know 
the height and depth and length and width of your love that you've shown us and that we are to share with others. Lord, we are trusting, trusting totally in you. You see all things, Lord. I do not see all things, but I believe all of us, we have those little cracks in our relationships. We pray for your mending. We pray for your working. And may we be serious as a church to kneel before you and pray and ask you, Lord, in your power to keep this unity of the Spirit that we have with our fellow believers, with our husbands and wives, with our family, with our loved ones. We thank you, Lord. As always, we are careful to give you back all the glory, honor, and praise that you alone deserve. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a, a clap? Let's thank the Lord. Amen. Amen.